Hey guys, happy 2023. Welcome to Can't Make This Up, a history podcast where I sit down with historians and authors and just chat about their latest work in history. Uh, My name's Kevin, I'm your host. Uh, Well, it's uh, the new year. I hope it's off to a great start for you. Uh, It's January, it's a little cold out. Uh, It's been pretty mild lately, but there is some snow on the way. Uh, And so it's kind of an appropriate time to talk about today's topic, and that is Arctic exploration. Uh, My guest today is Buddy Levy. Uh, He is a historian. He's written um, a little bit on uh, adventurers and explorers, uh, and he's joined me to talk about his most recent book, Empire of Ice and Stone, The Disastrous and Heroic Voyage of the Carluck. Uh, really interesting conversation today. We're going to be talking about um, the Arctic in the polar regions up north. How, what a strange and a very dangerous place that is. Uh, we talk a little bit about the desire to go and explore that part of the world, uh, particularly in the uh, 19th and early 20th centuries. Uh, and then we talk a little bit about the people who call that part of the world home, the Inuit. Um, so really fascinating discussion today, and uh, hopefully you guys will enjoy it. Uh, if you are brand new to the podcast, welcome. Uh, I've got a lot of content. Uh, if you look back through the archives on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening, a lot of stuff to listen to. Uh, and if you find that you like Can't Make This Up, uh, please feel free to like, subscribe to it, uh, and leave a review. Uh, my goal for uh, this year is I want to try to get uh, 10 written reviews on Spotify uh, or Apple Apple Podcasts. So uh, if you guys could make that happen, if you guys could uh, give a rating or review, that would be wonderful. Uh, all right, without further ado, uh, here's my guest, Buddy Levy. The You Can't Make This Up History Podcast History that you learned in school. We're bringing you the heroes and bringing you the fools. And stories that are just too crazy to believe. The stranger than fiction and super unique. Buddy Levy, welcome to Can't Make This Up. Hey, Kevin, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, uh, Happy New Year to you. You are our first guest of 2023. Oh, I'm honored. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself um, uh, and your background. Um, I, it seems like you are a historian of um, adventure and exploration. Yeah, well, I guess I would call myself uh, an accidental historian. Uh, I ended up, uh, I have a couple of degrees in English literature and creative writing, Um and I have been a professor of writing for a number of decades. But back in the um, in the 2000s, the late 90s and the in the early 2000s, I I stumbled into this uh, adventure racing world, which was actually being televised by the impresario Mark Burnett, who created uh, Survivor and The Apprentice and a number of other shows, uh, but at the time he was—he had created this show called the Eco Challenge, and I got involved in in traveling around the world. It was a very fortunate uh, gig that I, I was writing about 
these people who were traveling around the world to all these far-flung locales and doing week to three week long multi-sport endurance competitions uh, through mountains and deserts. And I traveled everywhere from uh, Morocco to Greenland to Borneo. And uh, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah, it was a great gig. And it ended up like uh, by uh, accident, as it turned out, I I heard that this blind adventurer named Eric Weinmayer was going to be competing in this uh, event in Greenland in 2003. And I was at the tail end of writing about this sport. And I decided to go there and follow him and got embedded with him and his team. And uh, I followed him around through the mountains and fjords of Greenland. Um, and it was just remarkable. And I actually ended up meeting this Norwegian woman who handed me uh, a book called The First Crossing of Greenland by Fritjof Nansen, a famous Norwegian explorer. And that was in back in 2003. And that sort of propelled me to begin paying more attention to Arctic exploration and expeditions. And I have to add that um, I had a little, my, my father was a, a Nordic ski racer back in the fifties and he, he competed in the winter Olympics. And so I, and I grew up in a ski town so I was uh, in, in Idaho. I grew up in Sun Valley, Idaho. And so from a pretty early age, I was uh, taken out into super cold places and cold weather. And I really was intrigued and enamored with um, the explorers who could do this for weeks and weeks and months and even years on end. So that's kind of the thumbnail sketch of how I landed on Arctic history, even though I have written about a whole bunch of other kinds of uh historical expeditions all right so so the arctic is kind of its own little subgenre within history and it's really really fascinating um and and so for starters i guess can you explain to listeners what the arctic is like and and why is it so dangerous to attempt to explore wow that's such a great question um you know I think what's interesting is that it isn't that long ago, you know, not much more than a hundred years where we still, um, humans still hadn't even been to the North pole. Um, you know, it, so there was always a lot of mystery and question about what was up there. And for centuries, you know, explorers from, from Scandinavia and from Europe and from England, had been trying to sort of uh, crack the code on the Arctic and figure out what lay beyond the Arctic Circle. And there was even a great deal of uh, mystery and, and uh, we'll call it confusion, uh, since no one had been there, about what, what was up at the North Pole. And to the extent that people actually believed uh, up and through the, the late 1880s that if you could there was a ring of ice encircling the North Pole. And if you could crack through this ring of ice, it was a tropical paradise up there. It's kind of remarkable now that we have, you know, global satellite images and uh, images from the um, space station. But I think one thing that people uh, don't realize is how, how um, there's this idea that the Arctic is kind of this uh, flat sheen glazed surface of ice kind of like a rink you know um and that moving along it is is um 
isn't necessarily that difficult. And the reality is that, you know, it's, it's a polar ice is this moving, almost living thing. And you've got giant, sometimes uh, plates of ice that are maybe 15 to 30 miles in length and width. And they're moving along on wind and current and being carried on this, uh, you know, on the, along the, um, the currents and they're bashing into one another and they're creating these ruptures and fissures and, um, it's a really dangerous place, but it, it has kind of what I would call a terrible beauty, a terrifying beauty in that you, you know, if you're on it, uh, it looks incredibly beautiful. It, it, there are formations that are like dinosaurs and there are uh, like gargoyles and the wind shears it and it turns it this tourmaline and tourmaline blue and emerald green. Uh, but at the same time, it's moving and opening and it's, and, and you can be just engulfed in it and, you know, giant ships can be crushed by it. And if you're on um, foot or skis or being pulled in sleds by dogs, you can be just uh, engulfed by these leads or fissures. And so it's, it's a remarkable vast place that, you know, we're still to this day um, learning a great deal about. Well, and even the 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 sun is weird up there. The day and night become bizarre. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I was so struck by when I started uh, writing about these explorations um, is, you know, because of the latitude and longitude, the the sun. Um, they have this what what's called come to be called by explorers the long night, and so when, once the sun. Um, typically, you know, in, in late fall, um, it descends below the horizon, um, depending on where you are, uh, how far north you are, it won't return again, sometimes for as long as four months. So if you can imagine the sun going down and then uh, the next time it, it breaches the horizon and rises again is four months later. So you have explorers generally on ships uh, but going out onto the ice uh, when when it's safe enough to do so, and often you know they they know when the sun is going to go down, uh, and when it when it does, <laughs> then you know it say say at the winter solstice um, or earlier than that when it, when it finally goes down, it's not they're going to be in a kind of state of perpetual twilight for months, and that contributed to a lot of. Um, a lot of mis a lot of malaise and and depression and anxiety you know that we know about now but they were just learning about they didn't have really the language to describe it but certainly um you know you hear about things like cabin fever and when you've got a bunch of men on a ship uh and it's dark and you're moving around through lantern light you know it's it, it can be really eerie yeah that's terrifying in and of itself all right. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. All right. Well, the, 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 the book that we're going to talk about today, uh, your latest book is Empire of Ice and Stone, The Disastrous and Heroic Voyage of the Carluk. So can you tell us what prompted the Carluk expedition in 1913? Sure. Um, so there was this there was this Arctic explorer and scientist named Wilmer Stephenson who had just returned from living 
uh, above the Arctic Circle and, uh, for four years. And he he was really an interesting character. He's very complex. And um, as you'll see in the book, you know, I, I spend a great deal of time talking about his his character and personality because he's he's really he's really an interesting person. Um, and very ambitious. So he organized um, the first Canadian Arctic expedition in 1913. It was um, pretty grand in its initial plans. There were uh, four ships and um, two dozen scientists who were going to go up and study um, the people above uh, Alaska and Canada in the Arctic and also uh, search for new lands. There'd been some speculation that there was a landmass that had not been discovered yet. So he gets all these uh, scientists and ships together and they convene in Nome and then they make their way up to Point Barrow uh, above uh, in Northern Alaska. And the plan is to take these ships and um, head east to this place called Herschel Island. And they're gonna meet there with all the ships rendezvous and then get all the scientists and all the gear on the right ships and then dispatch in these two separate um, parties, the Northern and the Southern party. Well, the, and, and I have to say that Stephenson had the good sense to bring along with him this famous captain named Robert Bartlett, who uh, had been with Robert Peary on a number of Peary's North Pole expeditions. And, and Bartlett himself had been to within 150 miles of the North Pole. So he was very experienced in ice travel. And the problem was that when, the, when in, in August of 1913, as they're rounding Point Barrow and heading off to meet and rendezvous at Herschel Island, uh, things just deteriorate from the beginning, in part because of poor planning on Stephenson's part, uh, and then also the uh, vicissitudes of weather. So there's this massive August storm, what, what we would consider a winter blizzard, you know, here in the lower 48, but it's happening in in August. Uh, and the ships are blown off course, they're separated, and they never even make the rendezvous point at Herschel Island. And, it, and by this point, um, the wrong mem the wrong scientists are on the wrong ships. Uh, and the only good news was that Stephenson himself was on this Carluck, which was the flagship of the expedition. And Bartlett is the captain of that ship, hired by Stephenson. And so they're together for a while. Uh, but it's, it's one of those weird stories in which um, really quickly, like within, within weeks of setting off, um, things begin to deteriorate and it becomes, uh, it becomes less about discovery and science and more about survival quite early on. Hey gang, I wanted to take a little break from our conversation today to tell you about the new partner of the podcast, Libro.fm. Uh, if you're like me and you have a long commute, or if you spend a lot of time with your AirPods in and you're listening to something, uh, you might enjoy audiobooks, just like I do. Uh, well, Libro.fm is an audiobook subscription service uh, in which you can get a, a credit for a new audiobook every month, uh, but also you can purchase additional audiobooks at a pretty decent discount. Uh, and the kicker for Libro.fm 
relative to other audiobook services is that a portion of every sale goes to support an independent bookseller of your choice. Uh, so it's a great way that you can listen to audiobooks while also supporting uh, independent bookshops. So if you'd like to check out Libro.fm, uh, there is a link for it down in the description of this episode in your podcast app. Uh, and if you want to join up with that link, you can get an additional audiobook credit uh, in your first month. So check out Libro.fm. Now back to our conversation. A theme throughout your book that that comes out pretty quickly is the is the different personalities between Bartlett and and Stephenson. Can, can you tell us a little bit about who these two figures are and how they're kind of completely different people? Right. I'm I'm glad you uh, mentioned that because um, you have a it's a tale of two leaders really. Empire of Ice and Stone is really a story of of two men. Uh, and their different leadership styles. And it kind of surfaces over time, you know? So what you have is Stephenson is a really brilliant um, kind of, I mean, he he's an amazing person. He, he grew up in North, he's an Icelandic American, but he grew up in North Dakota and then went off to college and um, finished his degree in Iowa. Then he went to Harvard, and he's a, a visionary. He's very ambitious, uh, and he's really good. I have to say, he was really good at, at living in small teams on the ice with Inuit technique and and having Inuit guides. Um, but the but his attempt at this at this major expedition with multiple steamships um, was a bit outside of his organizational abilities right and and he was really known for being persuasive stephenson was really persuasive he was able to uh, garner you know hundreds of thousands of dollars and the backing of the canadian government um to take on this project uh his counterpart robert bartlett grew up in um newfoundland and, and he was the a, came from a family of really really well-known um, Atlantic mariners and, and ice captains and seafarers. And so he had spent most of his entire life on a ship at sea and with periodic, come uh, you know, sort of popping in back home in um, Brigus, Newfoundland to uh, basically repack for the next trip. Um, but Bartlett is much more um, of a, I, I would call him, you know, a team-based player where Stephenson was a little bit in it for himself. Stephenson had sold all sorts of uh, media and, and publishing rights to his expedition and was planning to come back and go on lecture tours and write books and write hundreds of articles. Um, whereas Bartlett, you know, viewed himself as um, a, sea ca a ship's captain. Bartlett happened also to be what, what Robert Peary, the uh, famed polar explorer called the world's greatest living ice navigator. So you have these two really different personalities and those personalities surface when things get difficult. Um, so what are some of those difficulties? You, you mentioned that very early on things start to go awry. What, what are some of the issues that the expedition was facing? Right. So when, 
Within a few weeks after departing and they're heading toward Herschel Island, toward the east in the Beaufort Sea, um, the Carluck becomes encased in ice. Um, like I said, these massive flows, they're called flows, are drifting around in the ocean. And uh, the captain of ship, the captain of the ship, Bartlett, is looking for open leads or it's they're almost like rivers of water between ice chunks. So the way to do it is to is to try to navigate and wend your way through these leads. Well, the storm is so strong that the ship gets encased in ice and what is called in the day beset. Uh, so it isn't able to go anywhere. It's like frozen in. And then the ship begins to drift encased in about a mile and a half square of ice. So it is no longer navigating on its own, but it, it, the ship and this big block of ice are floating along at the whim of the current and the wind. And the prevailing wind in the, that area is toward the northwest this time of year. So, so, so they're, they're not starting to floating, but they're getting blown off course. Yeah, they're just being um, they're they're being they're drifting. And, and the wind and the current is pushing them away from the Alaskan coast. And so that, so Stephenson realizes where they are. They're still at a certain point within maybe 10 or 20 miles from the Alaskan coast. And a couple of major things occur that um, change the outcome of the entire story and the lives of many of the people on the ship, uh, which is that... Um, in, in mid-September of 1913, Stephenson decides that he's going to take a few of the scientists. Um, and he had also, I should mention that, that Stephenson had hired on in Point Barrow um, a number of Inuit hunters, uh, dog sled drivers, and a family of uh, Inuit people who were hired uh, the, the husband was hired to hunt and the wife to sew Arctic clothing. And then they brought along two young children, two girls. Uh, one was 11 and one was three. And they're just, um, they came along and they were going to help. Uh, but so Stephenson makes this fateful decision to leave the ship with a few of the scientists, two of the best hunters and 12 of the best dogs and to strike for land um, across the um the frozen polar sea and he just takes off uh, he just he just takes off and he says to Bartlett <laughs> that he's going to be um now he's the expedition leader so he can kind of do what he wants but i have to say that Bartlett was uh not pleased about this and he thought it was a bad idea um not only because uh you know it was a major storm was happening and the ice was dangerous but because the, the expedition leader is in effect abandoning his ship but but he said he would be back within 10 days to two weeks. Unfortunately, uh, Stephenson's gone for only a, two days when a, a massive storm, like a major blizzard hits. Uh, he Stephenson himself and these two scientists or three scientists that are with him and the two hunters are stranded on this little island off the north coast of Alaska. And the car look, uh, is now blown and is moving between 30 and 60 miles a day out into the middle of the Arctic Ocean. And so you've got this amazing uh, separation 
that is just, you know, when the, when the fog lifts, Stephenson's stranded on this little island and his ship is nowhere to be seen. Uh, and so then I'm assuming it's left to uh, Bartlett to figure out how to get the crew to survive. Right. So what's really fun about this story, I mean, fun, I should say fun. I mean, it wouldn't have been as much fun to have been there. Uh, but what, what's really intriguing about the story is that and because I have the the beauty of the uh, hindsight of, of history and, and documentation um, is that so I follow I move back and forth between what Stephenson's doing and then more to the point what what Bartlett and the members of the Carlock are doing, because there's there's a, a half dozen scientists still on the Carlock. There's a, a number of crew members, the family, the Inuit family uh, and uh, and, you know, 30 sled dogs. And so I move back and forth between the Carlock and its perils which are significant and they're about to become more significant and then Stephenson and what he does or doesn't do once he actually manages to make it to land uh and and then the decisions that he makes uh, but from the point where they become separated um the story and the reader is spends much more time uh, on the Carlock and with the members because their journey and ordeal is really just beginning uh, and so you mentioned they have these um, crew members or, or, or maybe rather passengers, these indigenous people um, from the Arctic. Um, what were the views of the of the leaders and the crew uh, regarding the Inuit? Well, that's a really interesting question. I mean, um, Bartlett himself had had been in Greenland for years, you know, with Perry, and he had worked closely with Greenlandic native peoples and really i mean they taught him a great deal about how to survive in the arctic um the scientists who were on the carlock were quite interested in, in fact they they tried to learn they they have spent you know they were they were drifting in the carlock for for many months and so there was time to uh attempt to have classes aboard the ship and learn the language um so that they could communicate better when they um when they were going to need to um w if they ended up being stranded on the ice and then but there was a little bit of you know the the crew members themselves were not educated people they were just um you know sort of ships men who they had a they, they were a little bit i mean there was a great deal of racism at the time so the crew members were kind of like first of all why are we bringing these family this family along um and then you know, there were they were a little because they had to make room for them. And but I have to say that they changed their tune quite quickly when uh, they realized that they wouldn't survive without them, because um, the the wife and mother of the children, Auntie, um, her name is Kirok, but they, she goes by Auntie. They nickname her Auntie. She is an expert master seamstress and knows how to make pants and parkas and boots and mittens out of uh, reindeer hide and um, polar bear skin. And, you know, without her, they would have probably all frozen to death. Her husband, um, Kuraluk, is uh, masterful at, at hunting, at running dogs, um, at building igloos, um, at, at navigating through the ice, at knowing when you shouldn't be on the ice. Uh, and, I mean, you know, without them, I make the case that everyone would have died. And so Stephenson did have the good sense to hire this family. Um, it's one of the smartest things that he did. And and Bartlett um, 
there's another hunter named Kadaktovic who Bartlett becomes very close with. And he he's only 19 years old, an amazing guy. And they are really, really a big part of the story. Uh, I I find that part fascinating. It's it's almost as if these people live here and and they know how to do it. Well, yeah, they they had they did yeah. they, you know they lived near Point Barrow. They had spent a great deal of time on the ice, and they understood first of all how to how to procure game. Um, you know, out there we're talking mainly seal and walrus. Um, on on shore there would have been caribou, but uh, where when the Carlock drifts out into the middle of the Arctic. Between Alaska and Russia, they they uh, they understand how to get seals, right? And they're very patient and excellent hunters. So, um, you yeah, we, we learn a lot about the, the techniques that that um, they use to procure seals, and um, you, you know, it, it's really amazing. So, once they're drifting, um, then it's a question of how long is this ship going to drift. Um, where is it going to end up and when will it be crushed? Those are sort of the questions that are in everybody's mind as they're, uh, as they're floating along through the polar darkness. All right. Well, buddy, this has been uh, an interesting uh, conversation and, and a look at a really fascinating uh, adventure story. Uh, perfect for January. Um, and th there's certainly more uh, to learn here. Uh, if people wanted to, uh, pick up a copy of your book, uh, where can they go? And where can they go to learn more about you? Uh, sure, you can learn more about me at buddylevy.com. And also my books are available at all indie bookstores, uh, wherever books are sold. And of course, online at some of those outlets that are well-known. All right, Buddy Levy, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Kevin. I really appreciate it. And it's true. You can't make this up. Hey, guys. Uh, well, thank you for hanging out with me for another episode of Can't Make This Up. Uh, I hope you enjoyed uh, my conversation with Buddy and learning a little bit uh, about the history of exploring the Arctic. Uh, hopefully, if you ever find yourself uh, stranded uh, up by the North Pole, uh, your ship captain won't abandon you on the ship. Uh, if you want to read uh, a little bit more uh, about uh, the Empire of Ice and Stone, uh, and there's a, a lot more uh, detail to go into in the book, uh, there is a link for it uh, down in the description of this episode in your podcast app. Uh, that takes you over to a website called IndieBound.org, uh, and that will put you in touch with your local bookseller uh, in your area. Uh, pretty cool website. Uh, and then if you want to listen to the book in audio, uh, there is a link for it uh, down in the description as well. Uh, all right. Well, um, the new year is off to a great start. And uh, looking ahead, I have some exciting things to do with the podcast. Uh, Dean Job, who's I think has the record for most appearances on the podcast, he'll be joining us yet again uh, to talk about some of his research up in Canada. Uh, and we'll be doing a little bit of true crime after that. So some exciting things just around the corner. Um, uh, until next time, uh, thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you then.